This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Continue with our draft shows today. We've got a good one for you. The top 10 cornerbacks in this draft, we'll be counting them down. Joining me today is Chris Aguilera. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Great to have you here. Chris, where can folks find your work on Twitter? Uh, they could find me at uh, Chris Just Joking, or uh, they could find me on the Deep Cover podcast as well with uh, Michael Crawford, who I know is a friend of the show, and uh, Kerry Stevenson as well. Yeah, outstanding stuff. Uh, uh, Michael sure is a longtime friend of the show. He's been on an awful lot of shows. Always have fun talking football. We always 
end up talking about an extra 40 minutes longer than we planned, but uh, but that's good. That's the nature of the beast. Uh, let's talk about this cornerback class because a lot of interesting guys, a variation of players here. You got some slot guys, you got outside guys, uh, you got some incredible size in the top 10. Uh, let's start it off with your number 10 guy. All right. So my number 10 guy is uh, Tariq Woolen, uh, who's you know, one of the freakiest of the freakish cornerbacks you'll ever see. Uh, he actually had the the best RAS score ever. That's a relative athletic score. Mm-hmm. He had the best one ever recorded since 1987. So that just shows what kind of freak this guy is. He's 6'4", uh, 205 pounds, and he's he recorded one of the fastest uh, tracked times as far as GPS devices are concerned at the Senior Bowl. And that is just... You know, you don't see guys who are 6'4 and can move like that. And if you go to Mock Draftable and look at his spider chart, the whole chart is pretty much filled in. So that's vertical, which is 97th percentile, 40-yard dash, 99th percentile, height, 99th percentile, weight, 90th percentile, arm length, 97th percentile. So he's just a, a physical freak. And uh, he's a converted wide receiver. Uh, he, he's out of uh, UTSA. Uh, he had a, a scholarship offer to Baylor because I'm always curious when a lot of those smaller school guys, I always want to know what their recruiting process was like. And he he committed to a UTSA. And then at the last minute, Baylor came in, Matt Rule came in and tried to get him. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he, But he stuck with his commitment and he went to UTSA as a wide receiver. And he actually converted to cornerback in uh, 2019. And you know, it, it, it paid dividends because right now he's one of the best cornerbacks and, and one of the hottest guys rising up draft boards now. So yeah, amazing athletic profile. You've mentioned most of this. I, I'm big on arm length, in particular corner, because contested catches are, are so big. So the ball's a jump ball. Uh, Tariq is going to touch that ball before that receiver. 34-inch arms. That's offensive tackle length. And at 6'4", you wouldn't necessarily expect an offensive tackle to have 34-inch arms. You know, that's a shorter offensive tackle. And usually it's the guys who are 6'5", 6'6", who, who end up in that 34-inch range or a little bit, little bit better that you're really looking for. The 42-inch vertical is up close to the highest that's ever been done. I think Justin Bethel uh, was, was up there around 45 inches when he jumped coming out. Uh, you know, never made a career as a defensive back out of it. Not really. He was he was in the league for a while there, mostly a special teams player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Woolen is just a, a ridiculous uh, uh, athlete. The, the three cone is the one area where Woolen can't do just anything on the field. Uh, you know, he's got a seven ten three cone. It's the one place where he's he's a, a little bit below average for a corner, frankly, kind of a bad a, a bad score. Uh, but he'll be a wonderful once he really learns to play the position. We're still talking about that. Um, I, th- I think he'll be a wonderful boundary corner, and I think is the guys that he can stay with, that he can press off the line of scrimmage when he learns to do that really well, and when he can just stay with a guy with his makeup speed and whatnot, he- he's going to basically throw an umbrella over that receiver a lot of the times. What I don't think is going to come as naturally is he's not necessarily going to become that that great zone defender easily. He's not going to know where to go. Um, you know, right now he's he, a lot of a lot of cornerbacks have trouble looking in the backfield. That's where they get lost. But but Woolen is a guy who clearly has some problems with that. Has some has some need to learn the position. An incredible tools pick. One of the greatest I've ever seen at any position. Clearly with with that re- relative athletic score. I, I you know 
I think most people would agree. I had him number seven on my list. Uh, I think some of the other guys on the, on the corner list have some problems. And uh, Woolen as a gamble, uh, I'd put him at the end of the third round for the Ravens. If they could get him there, I'd be very excited. Do you think that's reasonable? Yeah, I think so. Um, but when you know when you have these athletic freak come, freaks come out, you know they're going to be teams salivating over him. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a team jump in and get him in the second round. But I, I think the third round, I think that's a, a fair spot for him when you look at what he is right now and the potential of what he can turn into, uh, you know, over time because he, he's only been playing a position for a few years now. So uh, I do think that the third round is a, the sweet spot. If you're if you're the Ravens and you draft him, do you draft him with the intention of making him Marcus Peters' replacement? So does it affect your strategy on whether or not you try and sign Marcus Peters to an extension at this point? Uh, for me, it wouldn't, uh, because like I said, I think he's I think he's a long term guy that you want to bring along, kind of like in the same sense that we saw with Anthony Averett, where he wasn't asked to just step in and be a major contributor right away but someone that they can bring along and, and that can potentially develop into an eventual starter. Okay, I mean, I'm with you that it's going to take at least until 2023 for him to really be a, a, a high-value starter. One of the problems I have with, with, with his position on the board is that there's probably a team out there that will try and develop him faster that doesn't have the expectations for 2022 that might get there quicker in, in getting him. And I have a hard time... Um, reconciling what it'll take in terms of draft capital to get him, particularly if it takes in the second round. I think the Ravens are out. But if, the, if it's in the third round, it might be more reasonable um, with where you're actually going to put him. Because you really, if you get him even in the third round, you're really making a commitment to getting him on the field by at least 2023, or you've really lost the wager on that draft pick. So I think you, it, it kind of does impact what you do with Peters. And you know, now with, with, the, with the re-signing of Campbell, I'm looking at the at the moving pieces here. The Ravens are in a position where they almost have to get Peters extended in order to save a bunch of cap dollars or cut him. That's the other possibility, which does not seem practical right now, given the yeah. empty CB room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty bare right now. When you, you look at the guys that they, they currently have, is I don't think cutting Peters is even on the board right now. All right. Well, great, great first guy. Great discussion on him. Let's move on to my number 10 guy who's Marcus Jones of Houston. Uh, he's had a couple of shoulder surgeries. We're going to start with the detriments first because there's so many pluses on this guy. A couple shoulder surgeries. It's too much to overlook, I think, in terms of moving him even higher on the board. But the guy uh, has one other significant detriment is size. He's 5'8", 29-inch arms. Uh, a lot of tight ends and slot receivers are going to be matched up on him. Uh, you don't have infinite versatility in your ability to decide who covers who within a nickel. Whoever they put out in the slot, that slot corner pretty much has to cover. So there's going to be opportunities for NFL um, offensive coordinators to figure out that mismatch that they get. Now, he still has played terrific at five interceptions in 2021, nine in his career, one of the best ball hawks despite that small size. Great downhill player, loves to tackle, really hits. Watch any tape of the guy at all, you see a guy who reminds me in a lot of ways of Tavon Young in terms of of a guy who plays bigger than his size as a tackler. I'm I'm really excited about that. And the thing of all, above all, is he's he's the best return man in recent 
college history with with nine uh, total TD returns, six by kick and three by punt, a 14.0 college punt return average. So, uh, you know, think Jermaine Lewis or think Devin Hester, if you want, in terms of a guy who has that kind of explosiveness. Um, It's a big draft capital investment. I expect him to go probably in the second round or early in the third. I don't see any way the Ravens would take, take him at number 45. But, you know, the exciting thing is the Ravens, they do need the slot corner. And so it really makes sense if, if they wanted to commit to him, he could be the guy. Uh, it's just I'm not sure with Devin Duvernay now and all the success he's had that they're that eager to switch horses at kick and punt returner, even though I think Marcus Jones would clearly win the job. Yeah, Marcus Jones, he, he was a guy that was actually right outside my list. He was number 11. And that trying to figure out that 9 to 11 to 12, that was the, one of the most difficult parts because there are players like Marcus Jones that I love. You know, I love that he's undersized. He's the underdog, but he doesn't play small. He he plays with supreme confidence. And like you listed, the ball production is insane. He has 42 career passes defended. Like, I didn't know that. That's outrageous. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like the, this guy, he, he brings he's the kind of guy that you want on your team because he's going to create turnovers. He's going to bring that that energy, that passion that you want. And but unfortunately, he didn't make my list for some of the things that you said where the lack of size the injury history where, you know, he he's only 174 pounds, you know, and you're already talking about a guy that just recently had two shoulder surgeries. Mm-hmm. That is not what you want. You know, that is not what you want. But like I said, I'm rooting for the guy. I love him, but it's it's a little bit, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a little hard to call with that, that lack of lack of size for him. Do you, do you look at the fourth round and do you say the Ravens have picked fairly early in the fourth round? I don't know if it's a top pick, but it's one of the first few. Uh, if he drops that far, is he a no-brainer to take? A, a kind of a take on Young? 100%. 100%. At that point, you know, that's where you, you definitely go with that, that risk factor, whether it is whether it's injury, size, whatever it is. If the guy can ball, you go there in the fourth round and you take him. All right, great. Let's go to your, your number nine guy. All right, my number nine guy. So a, a little bit, a uh, little bit uh, off the the, the path. Um, it's a guy I really like, Zion McCullum. Um, he's from Sam Houston State. Uh, I really, really love this dude. Uh, he's you know another out of this world tester, and uh, you know the testing isn't everything, but when it matches up with what you see on tape, and when he's going up against a lower level of competition, and you see it show up in Indy where he goes up against. You know, the Alabama cornerbacks, he goes up against the LSU mm-hmm. cornerbacks and you see him do better. You're like, OK, so it matches up with what's on tape. And he was we talked about Woolen being the, the best RAS score ever. Zion McCullum was the third best RAS score ever. <laughs> so these are just the freaks of freaks that we're talking about here. And he's 6'2", 199 pounds, redshirt senior. Um, like I said, the smaller school guys, I love to dig in and and find out. Why did they go to the smaller schools? Why is he at Sam Houston State? Uh, so he originally committed to Utah, but uh, he wanted to, he ended up decommitting because he wanted to do a joint recruit with his twin brother and they wanted to play on the same team together. So that's why they ended up going to Sam Houston. And, uh, you know, it's, he has incredible ball production. He has six forced fumbles, 13 career interceptions. 54 passes defended. And then this is where he comes in for the Ravens. Team captain, great tackler, and he's also played everywhere in the secondary, 
as far as lining up outside, lining up in the slot, lining up at safety, both safety spots. And he's also uh, an experienced gunner. So that is just like the perfect recipe for what the Ravens look for in these young developmental type cornerbacks. He's, he's a, a odd combination of characteristics because the guy's 6'2". He has kind of short arms for being 6'2", so I'm not real crazy about that. But the 648 three cone tells me maybe even at 6'2", this guy could play slot corner. It'd be interesting to, to, to see them try it. But uh, uh, absolutely outrageous change of direction skills. And uh, he, he, I left him just out of my top 10. I think there was, a, there was a lot to like. He scares me in a little bit in terms of the, the size relative to arm length uh, component and the level of competition, frankly, that he's faced at Sam Houston. But uh, definitely a, uh, you know, a, a guy that somebody is going to take a, take a chance on. Where do you think he gets drafted? What round? Uh, I would think maybe like third, fourth round, I, I would say in that area, uh, like like we've been talking about with these testing scores, we've seen that, you know, rise so many guys up draft boards. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when you look at someone who has the third best RAS score ever, I feel like that's j- just going to help him. I, I don't know if, if you think this way, too, but, but the the Las Vegas Raiders always were a team that that bailed out everybody's draft board early on with a bad selection oftentimes doing it based on on athleticism with colton miller that it kind of did work out for them but then also with other guys uh since then where they just completely overdrafted guys in the in the first round um is this somebody who a, a team like the raiders or whatever maybe it doesn't have to be the raiders this time because mayock is not there anymore but is this somebody some very um Mox, full of moxie GM takes much earlier than we expect or is it you don't think he wrote book before maybe the end of the second round at the latest I, I think you could probably see that with both of these two these guys that we spoke uh, we spoke about uh, with Willem and uh, McCullum because you can see teams fall in love with the just the size the speed the athleticism that they have and we can see them get over eager and, and jump up like you said the Raiders would and and just be overzealous and, and jump everybody all right. Great stuff. Let me move on to my number. Let's see. Number eight guy, number nine guy. My number nine guy is Martin Emerson of Mississippi State. A size you can't teach at 6'2", 201, 33 and a half inch arms. Again, that's really up there at the, about the highest you'll ever see. The Ravens had Chris Westry last year with tremendous arm length and uh, was a guy didn't quite work out, but, but he looked with his combination of speed and length. I was really excited about the Ravens keeping him around. Kind of very sad that uh, they didn't tender him for starters, uh, which would have been expensive, but they didn't do it. And and then that they uh, they couldn't get him signed, uh, uh, you know, after that and you know, on maybe a two year deal. It didn't seem like it would have been that expensive to do. I did not end up hearing what Westry signed for. I know he is signed, but I didn't hear what he what he ended up signing for. Yeah, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear the numbers either. All right. Well, anyway, Emerson, a similar guy, uh, got that that enormous pterodactyl-like size. Uh, you know, he's an ideal press corner. Uh, usually, want the long arms, obviously, are exactly what you want. But you also need some weight with that. Uh, somebody who can actually put some force into that blow at the line of scrimmage, uh, contact that that wide receiver legally in that first five yard uh, period and redirect him, uh, miss the timing of the route. Uh, he's, again, he's one of several of those really that does it. He really is one of the guys who already does it well and is not a projected good press corner. Uh, Ahmad Gardner obviously does it very well, but but Emerson 
uh, is one of the guys who's already doing it right now. What what I really see otherwise, though, is he's going to have to play cover three in the NFL as a staple of many defenses because they, they you know the corners drop back to that deep zone, uh, maybe in his case on that left side of the field. And if it is, then he's going to have to um, uh, find a way to be better about judging when he needs to come downhill towards the player between the, the first and second level of that coverage. And that's something I think is a real question for him. Uh, needs to be able to read the quarterback better. Uh, obviously, the, we got one of the guys who can teach him that like nobody else in Marcus Peters. In terms of a guy who is who is uh, you know made to read the quarterback and and figure things out and integrate what he knows about what's going on with the blitz along with what he does as a defensive back and and uh, I think it'll be good it would be really good to have those two together uh, if they're going to learn Emerson probably would be replacing Peters a year after so you'd you'd have that as a as a possibility but probably a guy that that uh, um, uh, you could make a one-year training commitment to as opposed to just you start him right away. Uh, one thing this does, if you start him right away because the cornerback room is tight, as it is right now, then you're committing to move Humphrey, Humphrey to the slot. And that's a lot of these bigger guys. Um, I'm not really crazy about because the Ravens have tons of aircraft carriers, generally speaking. If they get another aircraft carrier with a high-round pick, to justify the draft capital, you almost have to get him on the field right away and that means Humphrey to the slot. And I just don't think you get as much from Humphrey at, at slot corner, even though PFF grades him very highly there, uh, as you do on the outside. I think Humphrey's a much more effective boundary corner. Yeah, my my um, I, I had him, I had Emerson outside of my top ten, um, mainly because I just see when he when his back is towards the ball, there's a lot of panic and grabbiness there, and mm. you know we've become very accustomed to that in in Baltimore, where we see. You know, whether it's Avery, whether it's Humphrey, just not be able to keep their poise when the ball is in the air. And that lack of ball production, I feel like that's something that I would hope they would want to change, like going to a different direction as far as having corners that can play the ball when their back is turned or when the ball is in the air. I want to see a, a little bit of, of a difference there and, and patience from the cornerback. Okay, so when when you say turn play the ball when their back is turned, you really mean play the receiver to figure out where the ball is coming in better. Yeah, play. because a, a lot of the times we see so, some of the Baltimore receivers that they've had over the past years, where they get they panic and they're not patient. They're not really reading the receiver's eyes. They're not looking at the the receiver's hands when they're to judge to knock the ball down, and they kind of get overzealous and they want to just start flailing. And that's where you see the, the penalties come into play. And with somebody like Marcus Peters, he's the complete opposite. I know he's like the unicorn of all unicorns when it comes to cornerbacks. But when the ball is in the air, he has that supreme confidence where he can catch up and he can make up for it. And, and you kind of see that with Tariq Willem, too, where he's he has that, that uh, confidence in his ability to catch up and be able to make the play even though he was beat. And, and Woolen, you're saying, is not as grabby then as, as some other players have seen. That's great. Uh, fantastic stuff. Great. Thanks for the explanation there. You want to move to your number eight guy? My number eight guy is uh, Cam Taylor Britt uh, from, the, uh, from Nebraska. Uh, I really like Cam Taylor Britt. And he's a guy that he reminds me of, of uh, Brandon Stevens a little bit, where he played some safety, played some cornerback. 
and he, he's not afraid to be physical. And that's one of the things that you see the most when you watch Cam Taylor Britt. You see his physicality jump right off the bat. And he's one of those guys where he raises the intensity of the defense. You're always seeing him, you know, high-fiving guys. You're always seeing him one of the first to congratulate a teammate when they make a play. Mm-hmm. And he's a team captain, which we know the Ravens love, again. And uh, he's a very good athlete, too. Uh, more linear than one of those uh, guys who can play in the slot and be able to move around like we've seen with Stevens uh, a little bit last year. But uh, I really do like him. And he's a former receiver, too. And he, he plays like it when the ball is in the air. Yeah, not not a great vertical, um, but he does have you know decent arm length uh, that gets you in there. He's outside of my top ten. Uh, one of the things I didn't like about him was the three cone at six ninety three, and I think as you've kind of indicated here, that that rules him out as a slot player more or less. He does not really have that great change of direction skill um, that you'd like. Uh, you know, size is also kind of limited, but his size would be okay for the slot at at five ten and a half or five ten and five eights. Um, I'm just not that excited about him, you know, given the, the, the lack of change of direction skills. Linear speed is, is fine. That's not the issue. Um, but he fell out of my, my top 10 for that reason. But respect the pick. Appreciate that. Uh, my number eight guy is Kyler Gordon of Washington. I, I think there probably are some people who would have him higher. I'm really interested to see where, where you have him. The athletic measurables are good. But he ran a disappointing 452 at the combine, and, and you know, watching this guy tape, he plays faster than that. He just he it, he does not look like a 452 guy um, at, at, at corner. Six zero one ninety eight. He's got arms that are fairly typical size, thirty one and an eighth, so maybe a little short, but not terribly short. Uh, but fairly typical for for what I'd expect in a cornerback. Nice six sixty seven three cone at his pro day. Now. We've had some big differences in a lot of workout numbers, but but three cones seems to be one of the big ones where you see big differences between pro day and combine. Have you noticed that, by the way, this year? Yeah, and uh, there was a uh, a report actually on Gordon where this, you know, I mean, you never know how true these things are, but they say that he wasn't feeling well. But like you mm-hmm. said, I he's actually my next guy that I have. So, you know, we, we can have this discussion about him now. But uh, he's uh, he's a guy, like you said, he looks a lot faster and way smoother. And he looks like a way better athlete on the field than he tested like. Um, And that's one of the one of the issues when it comes to testing over film. And it's like, all right, he didn't test like this supreme athlete. But when you see him on the field, he looks like a great athlete. So what do you go with? I, I tend to go with what I see on the field. The Ravens have been known to obviously go with tape more. Or the Orlando Brown pick, they they got a golden egg out of mm-hmm. out of getting him at eighty three by by doing just that. Uh, there's another thing I like about Gordon is that um, with that with a good three cone, his other his, his height is not out of the ballpark to be a slot corner, though he would be tall there. I really think he could help the Ravens either position, and so if they draft him. Uh, he goes to a best fit position, which that, that really is a lot of value to the Ravens having Humphrey, uh, you know, not wanting to move him to the slot. You know, maybe it starts out that Gordon is your slot guy and Humphrey stays on the outside. But if somebody on the outside gets hurt, then maybe Gordon can also move out outside on an as needed basis. So I think that flexibility, I really find very valuable. And the guys who have that in this draft, there's only a couple 
um, I really appreciate. So Gordon, Gordon, uh, it would be high on my list uh, uh, for for that reason. So number eight on my list, and you had him at number seven, right? I had him at number seven too, and uh, yeah, like I, one of my notes here is he can play against any type of wide receiver, whether it's a bigger wide receiver, whether it's smaller wide receiver. I, I think you can line him up against anyone, and he'll he'll do fine. Um, and then an- another thing where I think the Ravens will really like him is he was a special teams MVP in both 2019 and 2020. So you want to find your way on the field as a Baltimore Raven? That's how you're going to do it. Special yeah, teams. I, I, I love that. Of course, if he is one of my starting corners, I probably don't want him playing special teams anymore. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's a position in, in terms of making tackles and hitting. If, if you look back at the 2000 Ravens, they're a good case study in this. Uh, McAllister and Starks, are, are under some sort of orders not to get involved in run play tackles. It's, it's, I mean, you could just see it. I mean, they, they both, they lollygag to the pile. They stand inside. I mean, they, they completely stand out from the rest of that defense, which a bunch of ravenous wolves, you know, they talked about 11 uh, billiard balls going to us above. It's it really nine billiard balls <laughs> because the, you know, there are a couple of guys who really, you know, weren't, weren't trying to make tackles. And, you know, Marvin Lewis believed in keeping those guys healthy. I, and I think Harbaugh actually does too. So it ends up being your, your starting players don't end up playing there, but there's a whole bunch of safeties and and backup corners in this draft that that will make great special teams players for the Ravens. So uh, they won't have any shortage there, I hope. And I also hope that the Ravens don't put themselves in a position where they have safeties as they have had about the last three years now, 19 through 21, that they really only want to play on special teams and they have no intention of ever seeing the field defensively because that's really held back the Ravens' ability to get into that quarter package look where they'll have four safeties on the field at once. And in those years, 19 through 21, they've really wanted to get their inside linebackers off the field on passing situations, and they just haven't had the right personnel to do it. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping this year is five safeties on the roster, four active on game day or, or five active on game day, keep a special teams guy there and a, and a backup in case of injury. And then you have four guys who are on the field regularly on, uh, on third downs, but we'll, we'll see if McDonald, uh, shares that philosophy <laughs> yeah we'll see <laughs> yeah uh you know you had uh somebody at number seven we've already talked about here go gordon right oh gordon yeah kyler gordon and so i had Tariq woolen at number seven and so we're all caught up who do you have at number six uh number six i have uh, roger mccrary uh cornerback out of auburn uh he's he's one of my favorite cornerbacks in this class uh, he's just a rugged guy You'll see him battle, and he has one of my favorite game tapes uh, of this whole cornerback class when it comes to his game against Alabama where he was going head-to-head against John Mechie and Jamison Williams. He was just – it was just an all-night bang-out, drag-em-out fight with him, and he held his own. I I know he gave up the the touchdown in overtime, but he he battled. And uh, the main thing with him, the main concern with him, is his arm length. Yep. He came in with just arm length that you just don't see in the NFL. He's in the zero, per, zero percentile when it comes to arm length yeah, for, under, for a cornerback. Under 29 inches at 28 and 7 eighths. So that's, it's scary to me. And by the way, always really appreciate it when somebody else mentions arm length first for any <laughs> player on the show. Yeah, so I, me, I, I don't – to me, that's not the end-all, be-all because – you know, I've seen him go up against top level corner, uh, top level wide receivers, and I'm not saying that you know it doesn't matter because it, it does. You know, when it comes to cornerback play, uh, even inside linebackers, you know, the 
the close, the shorter those windows are for the quarterback, the better it is for the defense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a perfect example of that. But as far as just the player and what he does well, I think he's one of the most patient cornerbacks in this class. And he trusts his athleticism. He's able to play uh, against top-notch competition and pretty much lock his side of the field down. And there's a tape against him versus Jamar Chase, who had the one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And they went toe-to-toe. Jamar got him some, but Roger McCrary came back and he, he got himself some too. And you love to see guys that can battle like that and stay within the game against top-level competition. So uh, he he's definitely one of my favorite cornerbacks in, in this class. Yeah, I, I liked him also at number six, by the way. So we're, we're in agreement on the, on the position on this. I'd like to hear where you, where you think he'd be drafted. He's a guy with a lot of pluses and minuses. So let's, let's kind of lay these out in a row. His, his undersizedness tells me, and he's 5'11", 190, and under 29-inch arms. That's telling me there's probably going to be an effort to move him to the slot. And he's, he's played all on the outside at Auburn. He really hasn't played any slot so far his speed is just okay he's 450 speed so it's not exceptional for an nfl quarter um vertical jump only 31 and a half inches so he's not really a contested catch guy that would tell me slot is the more likely place for him in the nfl what i think has helped him do as well as he has as auburn is he's extremely polished as a press player and i see this sometimes with offensive linemen i would i would i would talk about it more is that there are guys in the NFL, Marshall Yonda among them, that can get by with reduced arm length, that have, you know, relatively short arms, but they can get away with it because they have not only just a technical soundness about what they do, but a, a knowledge of themselves about where their weaknesses are, uh, that they, they develop other tricks to beat away the hands of the opponent in, in various ways and still be able to get to the body even with that, that you know, short length so sometimes they 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 lean more into their block or sometimes they fight off one arm to get to one side and it's the side they want so they get the leverage they want a whole bunch of things like that mccreary already has a lot of that in his game and polish is something it's 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 good because you get get the player in there right away it's also bad because it means his upside is going to be lower and i think that's where i am with mccreary is that i i just don't believe he has quite the upside of some of the corners who we have listed above him on this group uh be a very interesting value pick for the ravens if he drops into their price range but i think um someone is going to draft him a second round pick and i probably want the ravens drafting with the first pick in the fourth round that they have uh, I don't I don't really think he's going to make it that far, but but it's often hard to tell because the NFL is pretty unforgiving about measurables that don't really stack up for players. So it may be that he drops it. He's off a lot of boards because of, you know, some of these concerns. Yeah, I can see that 100 uh, percent. No matter how much I love him, I have to be realistic and look at the history of the NFL. There are not guys like this that, that are taken high with the, that kind of draft capital. I think the closest one was um, uh, Asante Samuel, and I think uh, another, the Tampa Bay cornerback, it might have been uh, Carlton Banks, I believe. Oh, hmm. I'm not too sure about that, but I know it was another short-arm guy that was taken in the second round, and those were like the two highest that I saw as far as guys taken with that kind of arm length. So it's, you know, you have to be realistic. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's a player. So we ha- we both had him at number six. Anything about the Ravens? Where do you think he fits with the Ravens if they drafted him? Um, I think he would. 
I'm with you as far as the, the slot. Um, I think it'll be an adjustment period for him because, like you said, he's only played exclusively on the outside. He has not played on the inside at all. So that is just a whole different world when you're telling a guy who's strictly been on the outside for the last few years to all of a sudden move to the inside and, and play that that slot role. But I do think it's a place where he can develop into someone who's sort of on that Tavon Young uh, spectrum because I think he can play on the outside if, like we saw with Tavon in his rookie year, where it was, they had no choice but to play him on the outside. Mm-hmm. So I think he would give you that kind of versatility in case of an emergency like that, which we saw this past season. So the more you can do, the better it is. Yeah, so very much like uh, we were mentioning with Kyler Gordon, you know, has that kind of versatility to play inside or outside. And those guys have undoubtedly have value. So I had him at number six also. Who's your number five guy? Uh, my number five guy is Kyir Elam, uh, cornerback out of Florida. Uh, he is 6'2", 193 pounds, uh, but he's the way he moves, It's it, it, he doesn't move like a guy that's 6'2". He has the feet of a, a cornerback that's like 5'11", and everything he does in his movement skills is just smooth and, and very fluid. It, there isn't much of a – with those taller guys, you kind of see their, their hips kind of just not have enough oil in them to, to get around, and with him, he doesn't have that problem. He's, he's very, very smooth, but the – the negative with him, unlike his his uncle, who's Matt Elam, for those who are familiar with the last name, he is not eager to hit. He's not eager to get involved in the run game or bringing guys down. He does not want to get involved. He's going to be those, that guy that he just wants to wait for the help to come and, and try to get his body in the way. But he's not a, a willing tackler like we'll see with a, a Kyler Gordon, for example, where he's willing to be that guy to bring the ball carrier down. He he just wants to cover, match, and mirror. That's what he wants to do. And, you know, that that's all fine in some systems. But we know there are so, certain systems like in Baltimore where they want you to get involved. They want you to be able to be a tackler and, and get these guys to the ground. Yeah, that, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Don't I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, did, I didn't want to interrupt you. I should have put my finger up in the normal way to, to, to say. But uh, with Kair, what did you see about his – tackling enthusiasm after the catch meaning his uh, particularly on his own receiver um did, did, did maybe tell me how you how you thought about that you i think you're really talking about downhill and the run game when you talk about his willingness to get involved and mix it up there if you're a cornerback and you don't have enthusiasm for attacking your own your own assignment after a catch that would be a pretty big negative <laughs> yeah like he, he'll get in the way He'll put his arm out, <laughs> but he's he's not a guy that like we see with Marlon. With Marlon, he's you know one of the most physical cornerbacks in the NFL, and we see if you get a catch, he wants to bring you down and punish you. Mm-hmm. And even even Marcus Peters, you know Marcus Peters, he gets a lot of crap for not wanting to tackle, but when he needs to get a guy on the ground, he'll get that guy on the ground. But with Elam, he's just like. I'll put my arm out there. I'll try to get, you know, my body on him. And for a bigger cornerback, you would expect someone to, you know, really impose their will. But he's he's not like that at all. And uh, it's a shame because he he would actually be ranked a lot higher if he had that that kind of mentality in his game. Because as far as mirroring and matching wide receivers, he's up there. He's probably top two, top three, in, in, in my opinion. Right. I, I think we're talking about the same thing, but I liked his ability to diagnose the route at the top of the stem. Uh, you know, that, that there was a um, 
there's a lot of cornerbacks who don't have the same kind of experience in this class, but that's where that's where I think is one of his best part. His size and his change of direction does not lead me to believe he's going to play anywhere but on the outside. I don't think I think it'd be a waste, frankly, if if you tried to um, move him in and play him in slot because you had two other outside corners and you wanted a third. So what it really means is for the Ravens if they draft him, Humphrey's moving back to the slot again in this case, and and again that that reduces his value to the Ravens. Now, one thing I will say about him is there's guys in this class, and Darryl, Derek Stingley uh, comes directly uh, in that group as a guy who who gives up too many yards per target for who he is, uh, and and that was true even in his rookie year when he had that great great 2019 season. But Elam, uh, 45% completion rate to his targets for the last three seasons. That's on 115 targets. On those, he only allowed 5.4 yards per target and had six interceptions. That's absolutely terrific. Fantastic numbers. And so even for for a guy, and and you mentioned the tackling, um, it didn't really hurt him that much in terms of of how much damage was created. So, uh, you know, you expect a guy like that to give up a couple of big yak plays in there that might add a yard per target to his total if he uh, if he's really a, just a, just an awful tackler at a, at a level we couldn't accept. So uh, other than being a pure outside corner and a guy um, uh, who, uh, you know, has has, uh, you know, some tackling issues, we'll call it. Um, I, I, I think I, I liked him in most respects. I had him as my number four guy. Yeah, and, and I can see that um, I, I could see him really developing into a number one cornerback eventually. Um, and I think the as far as the, the aggressive uh, the aggressiveness of him in run support or whether it's tackling the wide receiver, whatever it is, um, I, w- I, w- I wonder if that's like just him being in a bad program and just being like, you know what, I'm not going to give my all for this. Like hmm. we see that sometimes where you're in a program, a prestigious program, not performing as well as they can. You see the stands aren't as crowded as they once were. And you're just like, you know, I'm not going to give my all for this. I'm not going to get hurt. I'm going to make business decisions and be smart about protecting myself. And I always wonder with things like that for a guy that that's so talented and as big as he is. That's a that's a real good point there. Um, Yeah, I wonder if some of that is going to change more. Obviously, we've had a transition of things happening in college football over the last few years. And part of them uh, skipping, skipping bowl games is just something unheard of a decade ago. Um, But, but now it's commonplace that, that, you know, if you're a top draft pick, you don't put those millions of dollars at risk after, I think it's going to become more prevalent after we saw what happened to the defensive end. Help me with the name here uh, that had the, had the, ACL problem. No, no, Achilles problem. Recently, uh, the yeah, Ajabo. Okay. Yes, Ajabo. Okay. Uh, that, that had the the you know he lost millions of dollars yeah. on that one silly little practice rep. Um, and obviously, agents are going to be telling their they're they're going to be telling the David Ajabo story for for a long time. But they're also going to be telling the stories of all these guys who got hurt in bowl games and saying, "Hey, you can do it if you want, but it might cost you fifteen million dollars." If you if you decide not to do it now, we're also going to have athletes getting paid at the college level. And maybe those payments will will move it in the other direction. Some uh, to, to say that uh, uh, you know, you, players getting paid will want to, uh, you know, 
or will have less incentive to uh, hold out for the for the uh, additional draft money that they might otherwise get. Yep. All right, who's your number four guy? Uh, my number four guy is someone who I, I kind of struggled with a little bit uh, as far as just seeing how high he is on some other boards, but it's uh, Trent McDuffie, uh, cornerback out of Washington, uh, 5'11", 195 pounds. Uh, they, they play a very zone-heavy system over there in Washington, and it makes translating what you see on film a little bit difficult. It's sort of, you have to project more when, with that system because you don't see as much man coverage like you would see the way Florida plays, the way Auburn plays, and you're able to see these man-to-man skills that, that these guys have. But it, it's more of projection-based. And I think with Trent McDuffie, what I had a hard time was just seeing those man-to-man skills. But the the more that I saw his movement, the more that I saw him on the field as far as just being able to uh, move and maneuver and the rare opportunities that he was able to mirror wide receivers, um, the more I was able to like and appreciate his game. Um, I, I think he's he's one of the stickiest guys in coverage in this class. Uh, he has those cat-like reflexes where it's he and Kyler Gordon somehow are the same size, but the way McDuffie moves, he's just he's he looks way smaller. He's like a cat almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really like his game. He has he brings that enthusiasm where if there's it's funny that we talk about Kair Elam and his lack of willingness to want to be in the in, involved in the run game and get into uh, ball carriers down. McDuffie's the opposite. McDuffie will run on the opposite side of the field to make a tackle. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you love to see. You love to see guys enthusiastic about the game. And and as far as the the intangibles that he brings. He's a guy that he talked extensively about this at the combine where he's been watching tape since high school. And he talks about how much he loves that aspect of the game of breaking down wide receivers and and looking at different systems. And you see it in his gameplay, because to me, he's probably the smartest cornerback in this class where he's able to recognize routes and recognize the the concepts that are going on. And you, you see that translate. So it's from the classroom to the field. And I, to me, that's one of the most special things you can see about uh, a, a player when it comes to the evaluation part. All right. Outstanding stuff. Uh, I had McDuffie's my number two guy. So I like him as a second best corner in this class. Um, th- there's, there's a lot to love. He's got very average physical traits at 5'11", 193, 444 speed, nothing, ex- nothing uh, impressive. 29 and three quarters arms are going to get him in trouble if he has to play on the outside. That's, that's a problem. Um, okay. Now it's been a while since I've checked the actual break point, but I believe it's something like 53% of the corners now in the NFL are six feet or higher. So the 47th percentile is the five eleven six foot break point, you know, not counting the extra change in there. And he would fall on the, on the bottom side of that. I do, do think he probably projects to an NFL slot corner and, and there's multiple reasons. There's, there's, there's the, the tackling ability just makes all kinds of sense. You want that guy Blitzing the, blitzing the quarterback. You want him in there on run defense. You you want him to be a guy who's in a short zone on a lot of cover three situations or Tampa two or whatever you might have where where he'd be shorter, um, uh, closer to the line of scrimmage, and the ball goes out to, say, a running back uh, wide on a screen pass or whatever. You want a guy like track, Trent McDuffie trying to track that guy down. Um, very limited number of targets at Washington. That is natural. You avoid the other team's best cornerback. Um, so you really have to kind of question 
uh, some of, of uh, the numbers, but the results are ridiculously good. In 2021, only allowed 3.1 yards per target to his guys. So there's nothing about the results with Trent McDuffie that you can point to that, that would be the, the, the downer. It's all about, you know, does, do his measurables really fit in at the NFL level? Do they project to the NFL level and allow him to play the position? I personally think he'd be a great slot corner. In a lot of ways, he exactly addresses the Ravens' need at slot corner because I think then you get the additional bump out of Humphrey value by keeping him on the outside. And he's also a guy that if you ran into trouble as the year went on, he'd be, he might be, end up being one of your larger corners and he could be a guy who moves to the outside if necessary. And Ardarius Washington or somebody like that takes over in the slot. I don't think that would hurt you too much. So Trent McDuffie, very exciting player to me. He's one of the guys I'll be really excited for. And I would not be upset if the Ravens ended up taking him at number 14. I don't know how you feel about that with him being your number four corner, but yeah, for me, that's, that would be too high. Cause like I said, I struggled with him. Um, I, I do like his game, uh, but if, at 14, that's that's a little bit rich for me. A little bit rich. I think it's rich for your dog, too. <laughs> <laughs> He's arguing already. <laughs> um, no, but uh, like I said, uh, that the arm length, that's, that, that's a bit of a concern. If he was a little bit longer, if he had a little bit more length to him, sort of in the Jair Alexander role, I, I would like it a little bit more. But um, just for his current size and, and stature, uh, 14 would be, would be a little bit rich for me. All right. Fair enough. I, it's certainly been mocked to the Ravens a fair amount there, but appreciate your judgment on that. It'd be interesting on the on the draft show. We're going to be tracking a number of players, obviously, as they come down. And it's it's going to be a great draft for the Ravens because a lot of different positional needs and a lot of a lot of possibility of, you know, three, four five guys who might have been projected on a lot of top tens falling as far as 14 and you know it could be between davis and you know two or three edge rushers and a couple of different corners i don't think sauce gardner is going to make it to 14 but there 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 are a whole lot of players who will make it to 14 who the ravens will be excited to take and it may mean that it, it it actually induces them to trade the pick or it may mean they just get a great player that we all can be excited about so either way i'm i'm, I'm gonna be pretty thrilled i think on draft night with what's going on yeah, every year we always see it. We always hear, oh, this guy's not going to be there at 14. <laughs> and every year it happens with somebody falls. So it, this year won't be any different. Yeah, I, 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 it, except it will be different because they may have six. They, you know, the guys, oh, I want all of them. You, know, you're, you're, you only get one. That's that's uh, just a thing. We'll move on to my number four guy here. That's yeah, Sorry, my number five guy here, which is Andrew Booth of Clemson. Uh, the thing about Booth that bothers me is the massive missed tackle rate. So PFF reported him with a 21.8% missed tackle rate. The Ravens know about that. The Ravens also lived through that season last year of just having awful tackling in the secondary. I think that's going to weigh against him in terms of his chance. But he's otherwise, he's a very fine corner, prototype size at 6'0", 31.5 inch arms. They're about normal for, for, for being six feet tall. Uh, 443 was ascribed to him. I think that's a projected 40 I've seen. I don't think he actually yeah. ran. No. Correct? Yeah, he, he didn't run it. He... All right. Outstanding. Um, change of direction on tape looks fine. And again, I don't think he ran either pro day or combine. He may have been hurt. Or he may have been sick or whatever the thing, but he, but he didn't uh, do either. That's right. Okay. It's a quad hernia issue. That's what a sports hernia issue. Uh, 
so we'll see. We'll see where he ends up going. We'll see if that reduces uh, because he wasn't able to test. Um, despite his height, based on what you see at the top of the route, is he a guy you could see playing slot corner? Because he is a guy I think could could perhaps fit there even at six feet. Uh, I think he can. Uh, I think he's one of those guys who can project to the inside and also the outside. I think he can play both both ways. And uh, he's actually my number two cornerback in this draft. And I'm really, really high on Andrew Booth. Um, I think he's a guy that has excellent ball skills. Uh, like you said, the tackling, it needs to be cleaned up a bit. Uh, there are times where he's a bit overzealous when it comes to, to his tackling. I don't think it's a it's an issue like we saw with Kyrie Elam where he's not enthusiastic to tackle, but I think he kind of needs to just calm himself down a little bit when it comes to breaking down and tackling because the enthusiasm is there. The want to is there. The physicality is there. It's just him needing to calm down and actually line up his target and bring the guy down instead of just making that big hit that, you know, he wants to, to, to make it and get everybody amped up and do the, the highlight tackle. That's, that's what I call correctable tackling problem, because right. if it's about leverage, if it's about he's aiming at the wrong knees, aiming at the wrong side of the receiver, that kind of thing, um, the Ravens will get that fixed, I think. It's, it's the, the lack of enthusiasm, the lack of physicality we've seen from players like Patrick Queen last year at times. And Patrick Queen played better once he moved to the weak side, but when he was at Mike early in the year, there was a complete lack of enthusiasm to make contact. There's an aversion to contact. You can't have that. If you're starting from that, that's very hard to coach out the problem you have with tackling. Yeah, and with Andrew Booth, that is, that is not the problem. You you always want to tone it down on a player and not ask him to, hey, can you bring the intensity, intensity level up? You don't have that problem when it comes to Andrew Booth because he's one of those guys that he just raises the confidence of the defense, and he's one of those those players that just – you can see his teammates feed off of his energy. And he's one of those guys where he's going crazy when the teammate makes a play. And, and you love to see that, that kind of enthusiasm from a player. Yeah, I'd make him a popular guy here in Baltimore if, if oh, yeah. he was here. So who's your number four guy? So I think we're, I think we're a little messed up on the numbers. We, we might be. So, okay, because so I'm let's up go, to let's three. Let's go through. So we both had McCreary at number six. At number five, you had? Uh, number five, I had Elam. Okay, and I had Booth. And number four, you had? McDuffie, McDuffie, and I had and I had Elam, so that's where we got messed up, I think. So number, you're number three guy. I think we probably have the same guy. So you had Booth at four, right? I had Booth five. At, at five, and, oh, and five. Elam at four. Elam at four. Okay, cool. All right, so now I'm at three. Mm-hmm. All right, so my number three guy. It's a little surprising. It's uh, Sauce Gardner. Um, I'm. I wasn't one of those guys that was on the the Sauce Gardner train early on because I only had uh, I only had exposure to 2020 tape. And his 2020 tape was just, it left a little bit to be desired. I didn't think he was a bum or anything like that. I just didn't see the CB1. But the 2021 tape, you see a jump in his athleticism and his processing and his ability to to move his feet and be able to be just a smoother athlete overall. And that's what I really like to see. I want to see that jump. And I think he's in that top tier of cornerbacks in this class. And I wouldn't argue with anybody that has him at number one because I, I see it now. And he has rare athleticism for a guy that that's his size. He's 6'2", almost 6'3", 190 pounds, uh, incredible arm length, where he's 33 and a half inches for arm length. And that's something that you see on tape constantly where he's able to – he might not be able to – 
stay with guys laterally uh, all the way through their route. But when he's catching up in phase, that length comes through and he's able to close so many windows when he's recovering from the from being beat initially. And uh, again, a guy that plays with supreme confidence. And that's what you want in a cornerback. You want a guy who's going to walk in and say, I want the best cornerback. I want the best wide receiver on the other side. And you saw him rise to the occasion and the national, uh, not the national championship, the playoff game against Alabama. And he said he wanted Jamison Williams. I want that guy. And that that's exactly what you want from a cornerback. Yeah. Two draftable corners on the, on that team at Cincinnati. Definitely a, a exciting pair. Gardner, uh, you mentioned almost all the measurables there. I'll, I'll toss in the 441 because the, the combination of size and speed is very rare. Just a huge umbrella of coverage, uh, relative to that receiver catch radius we always talk about. Well, the thing that overlays that is the pass defense uh, umbrella that your uh, your cornerback will toss over that. And he's got a very wide one. Uses the sideline very well. You don't always see that. Some big corners can do it. Some big corners can't. Um, he's, he's more like... Uh, we have seen from Ike Taylor in the division. Jimmy Smith yeah. also has that. Uh, I really think of it as being an Ike Taylor characteristic because he was limited in some other ways as a cornerback, but but definitely could could use the sideline exceptionally well. And I love it when cornerbacks do that. Um, Humphrey does it as well. But, you know, guys do it at varying levels, but uh, but Gardner definitely does it very well. The other thing is about results. Now we can talk measurables all day. We can talk attitude all day. We can talk, you know, what he does as a hitter. Um, the, the thing that is above all else is his results in college. Nobody can match it in three years in college, zero TDs, nine interceptions, opposing quarterbacks, their rating throwing at his receiver. I actually thought it would be lower. was 32.6. Now let's talk passer rating for a second. Passer rating, if you have every pass thrown incomplete, as long as you don't have any interceptions, you have 39.6 passer rating. Okay, so 32.6 is better than the, than the quarterback grounding the, grounding the football every single play. It's, it's pretty freaking amazing. You, you, you rarely see any NFL quarter for a season go under 39.6. It's really kind of a, kind of a low watermark. The guy who, for the Ravens, had an amazing year in 2011, the best year by any Ravens corner ever, was Lardarius Webb, and he was at 42 for the mm-hmm. year, including the playoffs. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those interesting, uh, things. I think the results completely match the physicality to me. There really is no other competitor who's, who's in the, um, game in both elements, uh, the way that Gardner is, he's a clear number one and Gardner's comments about the being the number one player in the whole draft. I don't think they're out of line. I think he could be the number one player in the whole draft. I don't think he'll get drafted number one, but I think he could be the, 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 the best player relative to his position that there is out there. And that includes you know, very polished players like Hutchinson, uh, for example, or, or like uh, any of the three tackles. Um, uh, one of the problems with the three tackles is they're, they're so close to each other in terms of how much they tower over the rest of that offensive tackle field uh, with Neil Cross and Aquino. Uh, uh, Aquino, I don't have that right. But, but, yeah, but, uh, but it sounded wrong to me. It sounds like I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, going back to the Patriots guy. But anyway, the, the uh, uh, Gardner really stands out for me on the cornerbacks. And it, to me, he was clear number one. Yeah, I, th- I think there's no doubt that he's going to be the first cornerback off the board. Um, whether it's top seven, I, I think he's, he's definitely going to be the first guy off the board. Mm-hmm. Any chance he drops to 14? 
<laughs> Unless there's a gas mask situation, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. okay, but you had him at number three. Uh, I'll tell you my number three guy then. My number three guy is Derek Stingling. And, I, you know, I've been back and forth on this guy because I, I'm really probably less concerned about the, the attitude things that have been brought up because nothing is on play field. This on the field play has been exceptional. His measurables, when we've had the ability to measure him, have been exceptional. Uh, you know, what you see out there is, is, a, is a player's, you know, understands the position is fluid at the position was fantastic at the position in 2019. Um, as I'm trying to make up my final list over the last 24 hours of, of how I'd rank these guys. I, I talked to coach who's a big LSU fan and uh, coach Evans, you probably know him, right? Yep. And uh, you know, what he said is he thought that Stingley may have gotten bored when the stud receivers left LSU and that left him with, less uh, intense practices against those receivers. And it's an interesting claim. Um, by the way, check out Coach's stuff. He's at Sip to Tally Films. Highly recommend it. Uh, definitely something I see. You've spent some time. I, I see you're not. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I, I, I know Coach Evans very well. We're always yeah. messaging each other. I'm always watching his videos. He's one of the best guys in the community by far. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, very exciting, and uh, and he'll be on our draft show on uh, on uh, draft night. Looking forward to that. Um, the other thing about Stingley that really didn't look that good is he's had a bad missed tackle rate in his career, and I didn't really get a good answer from from coach on that about the missed tackle rate. Um, it's ascribed by effort to some. It won't fly with the Ravens if it's if it's not explained. So, you know, if it's McCreary's problem where he's basically not lining people up properly, um, that's one thing. But if he's if it's a uh, an effort problem, I don't I don't think the Ravens are going to going to live with that kind of thing. They're, they're dealing with already too much in terms of tackling problems in house, particularly with the commitment to try and get Patrick Queen on the field. Um, that's as big a tackling problem as you can have, frankly, in the NFL to put it at inside linebacker. And, and, you know, have, a, have an issue with tackling there. So you can't have the rest of your guys, particularly your safeties, uh, not tackle. And uh, Stingley uh, at, at corner would, would really need to be able to bring the ball carrier down, bring the receiver down on an as-needed basis. Uh, great projected speed. If they draft him, uh, ultimately he ends up being Peter's relationship. He doesn't really address the slot need uh, in, in the way I would see it. Uh, even though he has a, a little bit shorter arms than you'd hope for in a, in a guy his size. But uh, uh, tell me what you think of him. I, I really like his game, but I, I think there's some something to it as far as that boredness, uh, so to speak, when it comes to him being at LSU. You know, he was at, had he was on one of the greatest teams ever in college history. And then he goes to a dark cloud over the whole program and – their revered coaches into scandals and, you know, the, the team's struggling, the stadium is empty. It's kind of like what, what I was speaking about earlier with Kyrie Elam, where you just see a guy who isn't as interested as he was in 2019. Mm-hmm. So who's the real guy? Is it the 2019 Derek Stingley that was hungry and a freshman and trying to prove something? Or is it the lackadaisical guy that we saw in 2020 and in parts of 2021 before he had to wrap up his season? It's, you know, that's something that we're not privy to. Uh, NFL teams will have to dig in and ask the coaches, ask teammates, whoever they can to kind of dig and see who this guy really is to see if he is that dog that that he showed in 2019. 
but uh, I, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I think uh, a lot of his, his issues there, I think they do come from that, that black cloud that was over LSU mm-hmm. and just not, there were times on tape where you see him communicate to somebody on the back end and there was a blown coverage and he's just standing there with his hands on his hips and he's like, I like you could almost see it where he's like, I just told you to be there. Yeah, he's e- emoting. So we see that from from a lot of players. Humphrey does it a lot, and you see Marcus Peters do, do it a lot. You can also tell when Marcus Peters has made a bad play himself because he slumps his shoulders immediately. But yeah. uh, but you, we see that a lot on the Ravens. I, I look for it as a clue for when a player is not playing well. Um, if they're receiving multiple emotes during a game and not to pick on Patrick Queen again, but that Kansas city game a couple of years ago, he must've had five separate occasions where he was emoted to, and it was by different players. It wasn't the same player every time. So that, it, it can get ugly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's for sure. And you, you see that uh, quite a few times on, on his 2020 tape where he's not playing with these, you know, these senior guys, these junior guys who ended up going to the NFL, you see him playing with younger guys who are getting their first starts uh, and it's it's unfortunate but hey you're the, you're Derek Stingley mm-hmm. you know you had one of the best cornerback seasons ever for a freshman so you have to be the leader and you have to uplift your guys you know no matter how mad you are you can't give up on those guys you have to be the team leader and uplift and maybe that's something that he just needed to learn I mean he's going through this at 19 years old so maybe it's just something that he'll have to learn and and kind of add that to his repertoire as far as becoming that great player that he wants to be. So a point I'd make about Stingley is this. I am all about trying to find marginal value that's not being realized currently in a player. And and so it, in Stingley's case, it may be attitude related, but it's harder for me to accept to try and go after that. You know, a, a, a lack of contact uh, a contact aversion is another area where I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't try and uncover that marginal value. Um, but but there are are places where it's a scheme fit where I love the idea of trying to get a player who isn't being used properly or isn't being used optimally, or the Ravens could use him better because of the way their system works, or the Ravens system would cover up his flaws. You know, if if you have those kind of situations, I'm all for it. Um, I, I just it, it's so important from my perspective with a 14 pick and he, I mean, he won't be available after that when the Ravens pick. So they have to really decide um, that, that you get a guy who uh, has the pieces put together. They're going to have a lot of options of guys who will. And Stingley worries me in that respect. And I probably have him lower rated. I probably would not want him drafted at, at 14. Um, I'd, I'd be more happy if the Ravens traded back the end of the first round, I think I'd be okay. And they got him at 20, 24, but, but I'm, I just wouldn't be thrilled with getting him at 14. Honestly. I, I think, I, I mean, I have the opposite opinion. I, I would jump at getting him there because I, I want to bet on that guy that, that we saw in 2019. And, you know, by all indications, you know, they, he's a great worker and he actually tried to come back this season to play. He, mm-hmm. He had the Liz Frank injury. He opted not to get surgery, and he decided to play through it. So that that tells me something there about him, where he's could could have got surgery, could have just hung it up and been like, "I'm going to be a top ten pick, you know, I'll be fine." But he decided to come play, and he only lasted four games before you know he really was like, "I cannot do anything on this foot, and I'm just hurting myself more." And he decided to get surgery. But uh, to me, that that speaks volumes about him 
that he wants to be out there. One more question about that. And, and I, I wasn't aware of the exact timing of the surgery. I knew he was out in October, I guess, of this yep. year. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so if the, if the surgery happened in October, that, that lists Frank's surgery is often a longer-term injury than even a full year. So does that really mean that part of 2022 might be compromised for Stingley? Because uh, that's a lot to give up. You know, you, when you look at, at, the, at, at what you get from a first-round draft pick, all the draft capital you put in, if you lose that first year, both developmentally and in terms of actual play on the field, hey, because that matters too, particularly for the Ravens, um, can you really still afford to have him be a first-round draft pick or have him be your, your pick at number 14? Um, so from all reports, he's going to be good to go during training camp. Uh, I think he's seven months out of surgery right now, and I, he just had his pro day, uh, I want to say like three days ago, he just had his pro day. And I think he ran like a four three seven or something like that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So he he actually just ran recently, and he said he's been training for like two weeks. So for him to run a four three seven or whatever it was, some ridiculous number, that after just being after just having recovering from Liz Frank injury, that's pretty, you know, pretty remarkable for somebody who who's uh, to test like that. All right. Now, that's information I didn't have here. I I do have a pro day here for him, but there's no 40 time. So yeah, he ran a, a four four three seven at the pro day. OK, interesting. All right. Do, do, that's not up on NFL draft scout as yet, but I, I'd love to see your source on that. That's great. Um, OK, so I had Stingley at three. Your number three guy was Gardner. So who's your number two guy? My number two guy is uh, someone that we spoke about already. It's uh, Andrew Booth. Okay, um, Andrew Booth. Yeah, Andrew Booth. And, you know, I had a lot of the same concerns you had as far as the tackling. But it, it like you said, is it a willingness uh, problem or is it a technique problem? And for me, it's a technique problem because he he has that enthusiasm to want to tackle. He has the enthusiasm to want to be involved in every play that's going on. And uh, it's he just has to clean it up a little bit because you see him – as a guy that to me, the biggest question mark with him is his injuries. And I think when it comes to tackling, you see those problems arise where you'll see him get up a little bit slow because he just threw his body at the ball carrier and he isn't as sound when it comes to tackling. And that's something that you have to clean up because it's just going to get worse in the NFL if you're recklessly throwing your body around like that. So I think that's something that he really needs to clean up. And to me, that's the most sketchy part about his profile. He's had a torn patella tendon. He's had hamstring strains, stingers, knee tendonitis. Uh, I think you said it earlier. He uh, missed the pre-draft process uh, due to a grade two quad strain, and he had double hernia surgery. Mm-hmm. That's you know that that's an extensive list. And uh, like the Casa just said a few days ago, guys who are hurt in college, they usually just don't get healthy miraculously in in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But I do think a lot of it has to do with his play style and him just scaling it back just a little bit. Okay, so if he if the Ravens did end up drafting Booth, and I, I I'd be shocked if they did not have a chance to do it at fourteen. Not eh, yeah, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if he was not available at fourteen. Um, if the Ravens did draft him, do you put him in the slot and keep Humphrey on the outside, or do you do you have Humphrey in the slot with Booth on the outside? I think I think it could be interchangeable, uh, similar to what we saw. I forgot what year that was, where it was, where we, I, who was it that was kind of rotating? I think it was Jimmy and Marlon that were rotating as the outside corners and they had Tavon in the slot. 
Okay, so um, I'm trying to think. They have, I mean, they've moved Humphrey in and out of the slot a little bit. And and the the distinction I'm making is is a guy who's moving inside and outside uh, on, well, on a series by series basis, what I'm trying to draw from what you're, what you're saying here. If, if the guy is a, um, uh, an outside corner where they switch sides, there's some follow receiver stuff that goes on. There's some other follow receiver stuff that the Ravens don't really do that much, but they do some where they want Humphrey on a certain type of receiver and they'll, they'll move him there even if he's in the slot. Um, but I guess the real question would be is if they're sticking to, everybody's got their own side and Peters usually is left cornerback and, and Humphrey's right cornerback in that situation. Does, does Booth replace Humphrey as right cornerback with Humphrey moving the slot or does Booth end up being the, uh, the slot corner in that situation? For me personally, I would have to say uh, Marlon be the slot guy just because he actually has the experience there. Andrew Booth does not have the experience lining up in the slot. Um, do I think he can do it? I think eventually, yeah, he could he could add that to his repertoire, and and I think he can be one of those guys who can line up anywhere. But as for rookie season, I, I wouldn't want to throw that on him right away. Too big a curveball. Yeah. All right. I think we've I think we've talked about the number one guys, but let's go ahead. You yeah, uh, yeah well the number. Let's make sure we have them all. Now your number two guy was Booth. My number two guy was McDuffie. Mm-hmm. Your number one guy is Derek Stingley. It's Derek Stingley, and I yeah. had I had Gardner at so, number one. So I think we've gone over all the players, and that's great, great discussion here, Chris. I really appreciate you coming on and 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 spending an hour and ten with us or so, uh, going over the players. Great depth of uh, of understanding here. How about some honorable mention players? Some guys who might drop to the Ravens that you'd be excited about maybe getting them a little bit later in the draft. A uh, guy who I'd like to talk about is Kobe Bryant. Uh, he's a guy who's Sauce Gardner's teammate, and he saw a lot of balls thrown his way because everyone was avoiding Sauce's side of the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, he stepped up to the challenge. Uh, the Jim Thorpe winner, uh, he's, he's a guy who he kind of reminded me a little bit of Anthony Averett in the way that he played. Uh, he doesn't do anything, you know, really, really well, but he doesn't do anything particularly bad either. And he, he's a guy that I, I like his patience. He's he's not someone who will get who will panic and and kind of like we were talking about earlier, where you see guys get grabby when they get beat. And they, he, he's not like that at all. He plays very under control. And I like that in a cornerback, cornerbacks that can play within themselves and not not get too too grabby and, and kind of commit these silly penalties that we see. And uh, he's just a steady, steady player. And when you hear the coaching staff speak about him and his teammates speak about him, they refer to him as the glue that held that secondary together. And they talk about him, you know, like he has, as if he's a coach because he was just able to have everybody lined up and make sure everybody was doing their job and they were all on the same page. So that's some that's stuff that you love to hear. And, and a guy like that who could come back for his fifth year and win the Jim Thorpe Award, you know, you, you want to see those guys just have that kind of success. Great endorsement, certainly. I, 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 either of the film guys or the alignment guys, I love to hear that in either place. Um, really love to have a slot corner who is an alignment guy. I also love to have safeties who, who like to align the defense as well. But never hurts to have, even on the outside guys who, who have – you know, fairly specific responsibility in terms of what they're doing to, to, to have them be communicating always a good thing. 
Um, not the greatest speed there. Did have six interceptions uh, the last two seasons. And there just there aren't that many great ball hawks among the corners in this class. There's a few safeties who have some picks, but um, not too many ball hawks among the corners. So uh, uh, he's one of the guys that, that was on my list for honorable mention. I had two others. Did you have any others to, that you want to talk about first? I had one that's a later round guy, and he, he's somebody that I, who I've been following since he was in high school. Uh, his name is Jack Jones, uh, mm. former. He was a five-star recruit. Uh, he went to USC, uh, got into a little bit of trouble. Uh, he went to a, a community college after that. Didn't play football at all. He just decided, I need to get my life together, and he got it together. Then he went to Arizona State University, and he's you know he picked up right where he left off as far as uh, being an impact player, and he's one of those ball hawking guys that makes impact plays when you need them. And uh, he he did he came in and he did that right away at Arizona State, and you know he he has those ball skills. And he it's funny because he kind of reminds me of like a, a great value version of Marcus Peters, mm-hmm. where he's not Marcus Peters, where he can line up on the outside and take away these you know number one receivers, but he's kind of the little brother to that, where he can. He, he can bring that that kind of passion, that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of uh, playmaking skills and really, really try to do something different that the Ravens haven't had uh, on the as far as the secondary is concerned and have a guy that could take the ball away. Mm-hmm. I said good choices both. I've got one more guy who's a production guy with an injury concern, another guy who's a incredible project. The first guy is Josh Job of Alabama. Uh, very balanced stat sheet for him with 19 career passes, defense, three interceptions, two forced fumbles. He's got a little bit of everything. I'd like to see that, particularly in a corner. Um, I'd like to see second man to the ball skills where he's in on somebody else's tackle, but he's the second guy to the ball and he's really looking to force a fumble. Love that. Love to see that. Oftentimes that tells me a guy might make a good safety at some point later in his career. So uh, Josh Job is a guy I like 447 projected speed, but he's returning from a turf toe injury. That's a very serious injury for anybody for, you know, we've, we, we saw it kind of take down Jonathan Ogden too early in his career. Um, but, but it's a serious injury at any position and he's already had surgery for it. Um, and when he had good, but not really exceptional long speed, uh, this could be something that takes him back a notch. It, it could be actually something that makes him turn to safety pretty much as his first position in the NFL. Uh, he's got a, a workout coming up in just a few days, four days from now on 413. Uh, that'll be very important for his draft stock. So we'll see where he ends up after that. But he could he could wind up being drafted in the fourth round. He could be completely out. He could go completely undrafted if, uh, if it doesn't go well. My number other guy is... The ultimate in uh, in in uh, you know weird dudes, Darian Kendrick of Georgia, um, uh, you know a late round possibility. Got some great ball skills um, in twenty twenty one with Georgia. Former receiver who's really still learning to play the position. So whoever drafts him, obviously is going to spend a lot of time trying to get him to 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 learn that cornerback position. But I think it might be a, a reasonable gamble here. He's probably a, a sixth round pick, maybe. Um, but, but, you know, a reasonable choice. Yeah. But what scares me with Kendrick is that four, seven forty that he ran. Yeah. That is, that is terrifying for me. And I, I think there's a guy, um, tease Tabor, former Florida, uh, cornerback who was, I think he was a second round pick for the lions and he's actually been able to stick. He ran a, a slow time. I remember. And, but he's been able to stick kind of as a, a, uh, slot guy, kind of that, that dime 
dime package person player that comes mm-hmm. in. But he's been able to stick around. So maybe Kendrick could, could be one of those guys who can find that way, even though he ran a, a slower time. Okay, so I think part part of the problem with that four seventy nine forty, which I didn't even see, but I see it now on Draft Scout here, looking it up, is that that was way projected way north of where he was expected. And I don't know how they do the projections, but they have some expectation by player of where they'll be. So it seems like that's that's just a really bad 40 as opposed to necessarily representative of his true speed. I I am that is enormously concerning obviously. But uh but interesting. I might have to back off on that one cuz that scares the hell out of me too, I tell you. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Chris, been great having you on here. Uh, let's talk about where people can find your work and give people a broader sense of what it is you do on a weekly basis. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, Chris, just joking. Um, I also have done some uh, video breakdowns as far as draft prospects are concerned. Uh, on the That's on the Deep Cover YouTube channel. Uh, Deep Cover is also the podcast that I do, like I mentioned earlier, with uh, Michael Crawford and Kerry Stevenson. And uh, with that, we'll be we'll be bringing out some draft content within the next couple of weeks. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can, we can have something and, 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 and really give the people what they want. Everybody loves the draft content this time of year. So most yeah. listened to shows of all time, all relate a, a draft. And usually in, in terms of the, the draft review afterwards is usually the biggest one. People want to know who the, who the Ravens got and how excited they are about them. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate that. Other folks out there, who would like to be on a film study show, if you have any kind of an overarching draft theory, why edge should be more important than corner or why edge should be more important than offensive tackle or the other way around, hit me up on that. Love to do a show with you pre-draft. We're looking for additional content. People love draft content, as we talked about. I'll get back to you very quickly. Do a direct me- direct message on Twitter is the easiest way to re- reach me. DMs are open. I'll get back to you almost immediately. Chris, thanks again. Fantastic discussion here. Uh, Time always flies whenever we do this kind of thing, but we've got to have you on more often. That's really great stuff. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on again. Okay. Appreciate it again, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.